You are to receive their teaching. When they get in the pulpit and teach, when you have a class and they teach, when you're a community group, they're in your house and they teach, receive their teaching with all readiness of mind and teachableness of spirit, yet with ultimate allegiance to the word of God. Let me read that again. Receive their teaching with all readiness of mind and teachableness of spirit, yet with ultimate allegiance to the word of God. Of God. Where do I get that? Well, let me give you a couple of passages. Acts 17, 11, the apostle Paul was in a Jewish synagogue. And we read, verse 11, now these Jews were more noble, so you want to be like them, than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So what they did is they received Paul's teaching with all readiness of mind and teachableness of spirit, yet with ultimate allegiance to the Word of God. Hey, Paul can err, Steve can err, Stan can err, Pastor Jason sitting across from me behind the camera there, he can err. And so you don't want to just blindly believe everything they say. You want to go to the Word and to the testimony and find out, are they speaking according to God's law? That's Isaiah 8.20, to the Word and to the test- to the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this Word, it's because there's no light in them. Are they speaking according to the Word? Yeah, they are. Well, then you want to receive that teaching with all meekness. Meekness. That takes me to the next verse about this. James 1.21b. Receive with meekness the implanted word. It's already implanted in you because you're a follower of Jesus Christ, but now they're preaching and teaching the word to you. Receive with meekness. That's opposed to arrogance. Nobody can tell me. No, with meekness. The implanted word, which is able to save your souls. This is what you're supposed to do from your pastors. You receive their teaching with readiness of mind, teachableness of spirit, but ultimate allegiance to the word of God. Receive with meekness. Welcome to Grounded. I'm Steve Hartland, pastor at Cornerstone Community Church in Joppa, Maryland. And today's topic is one that, well, I hope you'll be interested in. You need to be interested in it. You really should be interested in it. If you're not interested in it, I'm just going to say it, frankly, shame on you because it matters. So here's the topic. It's you and your pastors or in Puritan style, though they went on for pages with their, their subtitles. But here's my subtitle or how to maintain a healthy relationship with your pastors. Now, why, Pastor Steve, why are you doing this? Like, why would we need that? Is there something going on in the culture right now that's making it difficult for people and their pastors? Why would we need that? Well, this has always been a, a, a topic for pastors and people. The relationship, like any other relationship, has always been, to some extent or another, challenging. Why? Because you've got fallen people. We have remaining sin. We're redeemed by Christ. We're new creatures in Christ, but we still have fallenness in our hearts, and sometimes we don't understand each other, and sometimes we don't treat each other right. And so just as if, uh, you know, why does the Bible teach husbands how to be a husband, and wives how to be a wife, and children how to be children, and parents how to be parents, and slaves and masters how to be slaves and masters? Because anytime you have human relationships in a fallen context and fallen world, there will sometimes be trouble. And so it's interesting to see, just like the Bible says, husbands do this. This will be biblical husbanding 101. This will make you a good husband. Your wife will like this. In the same way, the Bible says pastors treat sheep like this. That would be a good focus too, but we're looking at the other side of that coin today. And in the same way, the Bible says sheep 
here's how to treat your pastors. So this is good stuff. You say, what well, is this self-seeking because you're a pastor? Well, um, it's in the Bible, and I'm supposed to teach what's in the Bible. And sometimes what's in the Bible is could appear self-seeking, but I'm not doing this for any overt self-seeking reason. Maybe there's something subliminal in me. I don't know. But uh, here we go. Now, there's one prerequisite for this, and that is uh, I'm assuming that you have pastors. You must have pastors. Learning how to maintain a healthy relationship with your pastors won't go far if you don't have pastors. So I'm assuming that you've committed to a body of Christ, to a local church. That local church has pastors, pastors, not plasters, pastors, hopefully, in a plurality. There's an S on the end of pastor in this case. And uh, I'm hoping that you're enough a part of that church that they know who you are. They know you're one of their sheep. They're watching for you. They're counting you as part of their flock. They're saying, Hebrews 13, 17, I'm going to give an account for that one and that one and that one because they're committed to this local church over which I'm one of the overseers, one of the elders, one of the pastors. I'm assuming that you have pastors. If you don't, get thee some pastors. Become committed to a faithful, biblical, Bible-believing, preaching, Jesus-exalting, gospel-proclaiming local church and be known by your pastors and know your pastors and have a relationship with your pastors. So I'm assuming that that's a prerequisite. That's an assumption. You have pastors. You have an actual relationship with your pastors. So what we're doing is I'm going to bring you some passages from God's Word. I'm going to bring you actually, if time permits, nine points on your relationship with your pastors, on maintaining it, on keeping it healthy. And these passages actually hand you God's will, specific duties on how God wants you to relate to your pastors. There could be many more than these. I've pared it down to only these nine. So here's the first one. Maybe this is the most important one. If you do this one really well, maybe we don't even need to think about all the rest. The rest will just happen. And here it is. Pray for your pastors. Do you pray for your pastors? People frequently tell me, Pastor Steve, I've been praying for you. They'll text me. They'll talk to me in the lobby before church. been praying for you. We pray for you every day or whatever. I hear this stuff a lot. You have no idea how encouraging that is, how comforting that is, how much that means to a pastor just to know They care enough about the Lord. They care enough about the church. They care enough about the kingdom of God. They care enough about ministry. They care enough about pastors that they're praying for their pastors. You're praying for us? Bless you, soul. And the Bible tells you to in so many words. So, for example, Paul to the Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6, he's telling the believers to pray. Pray for this, pray for that, pray for one another. And then he says, and pray for me. So there's nothing wrong with a pastor. Paul's more than a pastor. He's an apostle. But there's nothing wrong with an apostle, so there's nothing wrong with a pastor praying, would you, saying, would you, would you pray for me? And he has a specific prayer request. Pray for me that I may speak as I ought to and that I may be bold. Ephesians 6, 18 and 19. That was a paraphrase. Again, to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 5, 25. Again, near the end of that book. Brothers, pray for us. So it's biblical. It's apostolic. Pray for your spiritual leaders. Pray for your pastors. And I think there can be a a byproduct, a fringe benefit of praying for your pastors. And that is, look, if you're for real 
Like if you're genuine, if you're authentic, if you're not totally hypocritical, if you're not praying the imprecatory psalms against your pastors, but if just instead you're really praying for God's rich blessing in their lives and that he would use them, et cetera, et cetera, it's hard to rise up from praying for someone genuinely and spiritually and then not want to treat them well. So a fringe benefit, a byproduct of praying for them is it tends to keep your heart warm toward them and open toward them. It tends to, uh, tends to lubricate your love so that you really uh, want well for them. So pray for your pastors. Cornerstone people, please pray for your pastors. We are weak. He is strong. Apart from him, we can do nothing. We covet your prayers. Here's a second thing to maintaining your relationship with your pastors to keeping it healthy, and that is protect. Protect them. That is, protect their reputations. There are things you should do and there are things you should not do that affect their reputations. So here's why I want to start when I talk about that one. Proverbs 22.1, a great proverb. It says, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. Loving favor rather than silver and gold. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. Let's put a million bucks on the table, and let's put your pastor's name can be maintained in a healthy way. It's a good name. You're protecting and And which would he rather have? He'd rather have the good name. A good name is a valuable thing especially in ministry. Reputation is really important. We see that in the pastoral epistles, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1, when we read about qualifications for being an elder and overseer pastor. And the number one qualification is an elder must be above reproach. What does above reproach mean? It certainly doesn't mean sinless or he never gets anything wrong. Who could be a, an elder, a pastor, an overseer then? But above reproach means they're a little bit like Teflon, it's hard to make a real accusation stick to them because, not because they're wily and sneaky, but because it just really doesn't stick. It's hard to come up with anything substantial that is wrong, biblically wrong, about their conduct, their life, their family, their financial management, so on and so forth. So basically, the text there is saying, look, they've got to have a good name. Why is that important? Because their reputation, their good name really matters. It's a big chunk of the currency with which they operate in ministry. So um, protect your pastor's good name. There are people who will want to drag the good name through the mud. There are people who will want to, to choose a Shakespearean word, to filch their good name. But you protect their reputation, protect their good name. Be very wary about hearing accusations. Be very wary about hearing rumors and reports and gossip and stories. You want to protect their good name. We see Paul doing this very thing. He's careful to protect a leader's good name. In Acts 23, 5, Paul is before the high priest. The high priest is coming down on Paul. We'll read verse 2. Uh, starting verse 2. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by Paul to strike him on the mouth. Slap that man. Then Paul said to him, and Paul is a little feisty here. Don't think Paul is some little soft pushover. Paul replies, God is going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law, and yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? And those who stood by said, Paul, would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, oh, I put in the O. 
I did not know, brothers, that he was the high priest, for it is written, quote, and he quotes Exodus 22:28, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Let me give it to you from Exodus 22:28 in its full. You shall not revile God, that would be pretty bad, nor curse a ruler of your people. That's the English Standard Version. So what was Paul doing? Paul was recognizing, oh, well, now that you told me that's the high priest, I realize that verse applies. My conduct toward, my speech toward the high priest is to be governed by, is to be circumscribed by, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. So we see Paul doing the very thing I'm talking about here. He understood the reputation of the high priest was important. It was the currency with which he operated, and you've got to be careful how you speak and you don't want to unnecessarily damage that reputation. There's a direct charge about this in 1 Timothy 5, 19. Verse 19, Paul writes, Do not, right? We understand that, right? Do not. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. And then he goes on to say, and where the two or three witnesses do appear and and the charge sticks, then rebuke them in the presence of all. So leaders don't get a pass. They get rebuked if they're found violating God's law. But Paul says, don't even admit a charge. Don't even receive it. So like if somebody comes to me and says, Pastor Stan is arrogant and proud. He's one of the pastors in our church. Pastor Stan is arrogant and proud. Everybody who knows him knows that he's just absolutely not. He's the last guy you'd accuse of being arrogant and proud. Pastor Stan is arrogant and proud. And I say, well, do you have two other witnesses? No, but I've seen it. Sorry, talk to the hand. I'm not listening. You don't get my ear. Why not? First Timothy 5.19, don't admit a charge against an elder unless there's two or three witnesses standing right there. Yes, I saw him. Yes, I saw him. Yes, I saw him. Okay, then tell me about it. Barring that, no witnesses, stop. And why is this important? Because it's about their reputation. You don't want to unnecessarily harm a pastor's reputation. Uh, It's the currency with which he does his ministry. It's crucial. It's critical to his existence as a pastor. A pastor with a bad reputation can't be a pastor anymore. So you want to be very careful even about admitting a charge to come into your ears about a pastor. All right, here's the third thing. Let me back up on my manuscript. First, pray for them. Second, protect their reputations. Here's a third thing. Respect and esteem them. And yeah, I know. Now, this could sound a little self-serving because I'm one of them, but I'm just, I'm supposed to read you God's word, right? I'm a pastor. This is God's word. First Thessalonians 5, 12, and 13. And the scripture comes right out and tells you to respect and esteem them. Let me read it for you. First Thessalonians 5, 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. Now, he doesn't identify them using the name pastor or elder or overseer. Those three are interchangeable of the same person, same office. But he describes them. Why? Maybe because this was a very young church, and they hadn't formally identified, formally recognized, formally installed with the laying on of hands in prayer these men into actual pastoral ministry yet. But the men were starting to rise up and become noticeable. And you could see there are those who are laboring among you. They're not pastors yet, maybe. And they're over you in the Lord by virtue of their godliness and their maturity and so on. And they admonish you. They've taken to admonishing the people. That's what pastors do. So the Thessalonians are to respect them, verse 13, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Not 
not because their personality is your favorite personality type. There are going to be pastors who have the personality that you don't like. Maybe they don't like yours either. It's not about personality. It's not about, oh, that's just the kind of person I like. They're interested in what I'm interested in. I like art and they like art. Good. I like art, by the way. But esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Is he working as a shepherd in God's flock? Then you're supposed to respect that and esteem them very highly for that. I'm oh, name Pastor Stan again. Pastor Stan has a job. He's not even employed at our church. But man, does he work. I can't believe all the stuff he does in ministry to sheep at Cornerstone Community Church. And so, the, so you need to know, like a husband needs to know, how am I supposed to treat my wife? You're supposed to know how you're supposed to treat a Pastor Stan. And the Bible tells you you're supposed to respect him and esteem him very highly in love. So that means you take Pastor Stan and you say, we put him up here. And we really love that man. Why? Because of his work. And then it adds, end of the verse. We're still in the verse. It's just still about pastors and people. Be at peace among yourselves. And you see, those two things are related. Where you are respecting those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and where you are esteeming them very highly in love because of their work, this will certainly tend to being at peace among yourselves. And peace is healthy for a local church. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. It's good when the churches enjoy peace. So you're to respect and esteem pastors. I know, it sounds self-serving because I'm one of them. I'm just telling you what the Word of God says, all right? Here's, here's point number four. You are to receive their teaching. When they get in the pulpit and teach, when you have a class and they teach, when you're a community group, they're in your house and they teach, receive their teaching with all readiness of mind and teachableness of spirit, yet with ultimate allegiance to the Word of God. Let me read that again. Receive their teaching with all readiness of mind and teachableness of spirit, yet with ultimate allegiance to the Word of God. Of God. Where do I get that? Well, let me give you a couple of passages. Acts 17, 11, the Apostle Paul was in a Jewish synagogue. And we read, verse 11, Now these Jews were more noble, so you want to be like them, than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So what they did is they received Paul's teaching with all readiness of mind and teachableness of spirit, yet with ultimate allegiance to the Word of God. Hey, Paul can err, Steve can err, Stan can err, Pastor Jason sitting across from me behind the camera there, he can err. And so you don't want to just blindly believe everything they say. You want to go to the Word and to the testimony and find out, are they speaking according to God's law? That's Isaiah 8.20, to the Word and to the, tes- to the law and to the testimony. If they do not speak according to this Word, it's because there's no light in them. Are they speaking according to the Word? Yeah, they are. Well, then you want to receive that teaching with all meekness. Meekness, that takes me to the next verse about this. James 121b, receive with meekness the implanted word. It's already implanted in you because you're a follower of Jesus Christ, but now they're preaching and teaching the word to you. Receive with meekness. That's opposed to arrogance. Nobody can tell me. No, with meekness. The implanted word, which is able to save your souls. This is what you're supposed to do from your pastors. You receive their teaching with readiness of mind, teachableness of spirit, but ultimate allegiance to the word of God. Receive with meekness. 
Again, 1 Thessalonians 2.13, Paul says, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. That is, what I want to say from that is, to the extent that your pastors, your elders, your overseers are faithfully explaining Scripture and applying Scripture to your life, then you should receive it as the Word of God. So you are to consider what they teach. You are to search the Scriptures. You are to receive it where it's true. And hmm, let me just let me go one step farther. So they're pastors, right? They've been recognized for various reasons. They've been recognized as men who are fit to, who ought to be pastors. Certainly with those who labor in the word and doctrine, they've been recognized that they, they need to have, they'd better have beyond average rank and file of God's sheep, uh, understanding of the word, knowledge of the word. They've studied the word. They've studied their brains out because the well is shallow and or the well is deep and the brains are shallow. Um, that's a Richard Baxter thing, by the way. So so here's what I want to say from that. Because they've done that, because that's who they are, you should probably listen to them. I'm going to say it more than they listen to you. Now they should listen to you. But you should probably listen to them, especially when it comes to what I'm talking about here is when they're explaining the word to you. And you're saying, "No, no, I read the Gospel of John once and I know what I'm talking about." No, no, you should probably say I should listen to them because they've really studied the scriptures. They've really given themselves to the things of God. They're, they're really involved in ministry. You should probably listen to them even more than they listen to you. So what was point number four? Uh, how do you maintain a right relationship with your pastors? Receive their teaching with all readiness of mind and teachableness of spirit, yet with ultimate allegiance to the word of God. Here's point number five. Humbly heed their spiritual exhortations. We're getting now to where they're not just in the pulpit preaching. Maybe it is in the pulpit, but this is more personal. They're with you. They've asked for a meeting with you. Humbly heed their spiritual exhortations and warnings, and even their rare rebukes. Receive it as from those appointed to watch for your souls. As from those committed to labor and present you complete and mature in Christ, humbly heed their exhortations, their warnings, and even the rare rebukes. Now, I could give you a bunch of references, Proverbs 19.20, Hebrews 13.17, Galatians 4.19, but I'm just going to pick one here. By the mouth of one witness, this word will have to be confirmed, Colossians 1.28. And Paul writes, him, that's Christ, him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom to what end? That we may present everyone mature in Christ. Like at the last day, I want to be able to say, here, Lord, here's one. Here's a sheep. I labored for this one. They were part of my flock. I'm giving an account for them. And here I'm presenting them to you mature in Christ. So the pastors are supposed to warn everyone and teach everyone with all wisdom to present everyone mature in Christ. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone. So you want to humbly 
heed that. You want to receive that. You want to humbly heed their spiritual exhortations and warnings. You might just pray, Lord, my pastor has exhorted me. Kind of hurt. I got a little upset. Help me to receive it. It might, it might not be what I want to hear. It might not have been flattering to me. It might not have been good for my pride. It might have been humbling. But Lord, help me to receive the word of exhortation or admonition or even the occasional rare rebuke. Humbly heed their spiritual exhortations. Point number six gets even more personal. This one's about counsel. Seek and carefully consider their counsel as from those counted faithful by the Lord. That's why they're in ministry. They've been counted faithful. So part of what they do is they give you counsel. Seek and carefully consider their counsel. Let me just pause there. I've got some verses for you, but let me explain something first. So there's counsel and there are commands. A command has the word of God behind it and says, thou shalt. So you come to me and you say, should I marry her? She's not a Christian. And I say, no, the Bible says you should marry only in the Lord. I'm not giving you counsel. I'm giving you God's command. It's not like you can take that one or leave it. No, you can't take it or leave it. you got to go with it. It's the Word of God. So insofar as a pastor or any brother or sister in Christ has given you the Word of God, you've got to go with it. You've got to submit to it. It's God's will in your life. But then there's this thing called counsel, and counsel is where God hasn't spoken, and there's no clear right or wrong, and you get to make choices. And you'd be surprised from time to time people come to a pastor and even ask counsel for things like this. I'm I'm making this up, but it's stuff like this. Should I buy the Camry or the Accord? Pastor, what should I do? Should I buy the Camry or the Accord? They're both $10,000. They both have 125,000 miles on them. They're both 1997s. Should I buy the Camry or the Accord? And, of course, being a wise pastor, I would say, well, absolutely buy the Accord. (laughs) Because that's personal taste and personal preference. I would go with the Accord. But I've often had to make it very clear to sheep. I want to make sure they understand, I'm giving you my counsel. I'm giving you my advice. It's not the will of the Lord. It's not a thus saith the Lord. And you're welcome to take it or not take it. And if you don't take my counsel, you'll still be entirely on my good person list. Like, if I'm not like, well, they didn't take my counsel. I don't like them anymore. No, no, no. I'll just, just counsel. You get to buy the Camry, even though I said I'd get the Accord. Do the apostles ever give counsel? Yeah, here's an interesting one. 1 Corinthians 7, 25. Now, concerning the betrothed, people who are engaged, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. So why is he in ministry? Because he's been counted trustworthy by the Lord and by a lot of people. You don't get in the ministry without that. And so Paul says, I don't have a scripture verse on this. I don't have a command from the Lord Jesus on this, but I'm going to give my judgment. Pastors often have to give their judgment. And what I'm saying to you is when they do, seek, well, seek it, and carefully consider their counsel as from those counted faithful by the Lord. So let's back up a little more. Um, Here's an assumption behind all this. You want counsel, right? You want counsel. What's the Bible say? In a multitude of counselors, don't just get one and you carefully pick the one that you know will tell you what you want to hear anyway. 
No, in a multitude of counselors, there is wisdom, and there is safety elsewhere. In a multitude of counselors, and by wise counsel, counsel you shall wage your war. Well, I'm not a soldier. I don't go to war. That verse doesn't apply. No, war stands in for anything that's a big decision that has massive consequences if done poorly. That's war. So let's say if you're deciding, should I marry or not? You could put that in the category of war. I don't mean your marriage should be war. I mean, that's big. That's a big thing with big consequences. Um, Should we buy a house or not? That's war, man. So anything that's really a big decision, by wise counsel, you shall wage your war. Always get counsel. Don't be like, counsel, schmounsel. I don't need no counsel. I can make up my own mind. I'm smart. And from whom should you get counsel? Well, one good direction to turn to is your pastors. People should ask counsel from their pastors more often and seek and carefully consider their counsel as from those counted faithful by the Lord. So there you go. That's number six. We're down to number seven, and I'm headed for nine, so just hang in there with me. Oh, I like this one. This one's really important. Are you part of a church and you have pastors and they're overseers? Cheerfully embrace, cheerfully, cheerfully embrace and abide by their decisions regarding corporate policy in God's house, his church, without gainsaying. You know what gainsaying is? It's an old word. It's used in the Bible. It means without speaking against. Let me read it again. Carefully embrace and abide by their decisions regarding corporate policy in God's house, which is his church, without gainsaying, even when personally differing with their judgment. Cheerfully embrace and abide by. So here's what this means. It's part of their position. It's part of their job. They have to make decisions. Lots of them. A lot of those decisions are their judgment call. There's no word from the Lord. The Bible doesn't say, yeah, your church should meet at 11 a.m. or 11.15 a.m. Somebody's got to decide. Who's supposed to decide? Well, wise shepherds will often include the whole flock and lots of decisions. What do you all think? You all like 11.15? All right, we're doing 11.15. Lots of things like that. But there are always and many decisions that elders have to make where they just have to make a decision, and it's going to displease some, and it's going to please others. And the displeased ones say, why did you do that? Because, well, if we didn't do that, they'd be talking to us right now. And And you can't please everybody all the time. So they have to make decisions. They are appointed by God to set corporate policy, to make corporate decisions on which the Word of God does not clearly speak, and certainly ones on which the Word of God does speak. And here's the point. They're not supposed to have to fight and fight and fight and fight because they make those decisions. They're not supposed to have to fight their way through it. They can't make every policy the way everybody wants. One person wants this, the other one wants that. The pastor's not going to please somebody. What's supposed to happen? Let me read you a verse. It is Hebrews 13, 17. I'll have a few more verses after it. But Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. Whoa! Is that really in the Bible? You mean the Word of God actually says that? I'm supposed to obey them and submit to is This is my duty before Christ as a man of God. I'm supposed to do this? Yes. Obey your leaders and submit to them. That submit is that hupatasso word that's used of wives to husbands and children to parents. Hupatasso means you rank yourself under. Hupa under tasso to stand. You stand yourself under them. They outrank me 
in the assembly. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. And then this. This is really good, people. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning. Oh, that's groaning. Joy. That's joy. Did I do that very well? Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. It's in your own best interest to let your pastors lead you with joy. It's in your own best interest and the interest of the church and your family and everybody in it to let your pastors lead you minus groaning, sans groaning, no groaning. Groaning inside a red ring with a red line through it. No groaning. Joy. Again, 1 Corinthians 10, 9 and 10, Paul's pointing back to Old Covenant Israel and what they did. And he says, we must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did. They grumbled against whom? Aaron. You might call him the pastor. Moses. Pastor. And God. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Book of Exodus. Book of Numbers. Or again, Philippians 2.14, do all things. So certainly do relationships with your pastors. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. And by the way, back in Exodus and Numbers, uh, first it says the people of Israel were grumbling, and then later it says they were disputing. And it seems like Paul has that text in mind. And he's picture, picking up both of those and saying, don't do what they did. They grumbled at their pastors. They grumbled at their spiritual leaders. Do all things without grumbling and disputing. Why? That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So with a deep sense of submission to God and his sovereignty, our job is to be submissive to our pastors and... This will help you. By the way, I have fellow pastors, and it is my job to be submissive to them. Now, that doesn't mean we can't debate things. I can can have a point of view, and I can argue for it, and they can argue for theirs, and we'll see what wins, and that happens a lot. I I currently have four other pastors. They are collectively my boss. They could fire me right now if they wanted to. They could hand me a pig slip, say, Hartland, go home. Uh, they're over me in the Lord, and I have to be submissive to them. And if they collectively say to me, uh, Pastor Steve, we don't like your preaching. Uh, we want you to end in the Gospel of John. We want you to go straight to the book of Deuteronomy. Then I'd, I'd probably say, uh, really? Why? Can we talk about this? Come on, guys. I want to finish John. Here's why. But if at the end of the day they say, no, 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 you got to stop John now. Well, then i got to stop John now. Of course, if they said things like that, then we have problems, don't we? That'd be a church with problems. But the point here is I have to do what you have to do, and that is we all have to cheerfully, cheerfully, not grumbly, cheerfully embrace and abide by their decisions regarding corporate policy in God's house, which is his church, without gainsaying or grumbling, even when personally differing with their judgment. You are going to personally differ with their judgment sometimes. That's exactly when, then, you need to be submissive. The, the word submission doesn't cut in, doesn't do anything, doesn't get applied until you're differing with somebody's judgment and they're over you. That's precisely when submission is supposed to happen. I don't agree with them. Okay. 
Talk to them about it. Well, they didn't agree with me. They didn't go my way. All right, what are you supposed to do? Grumble? No, I'm supposed to be submissive and let them do it with joy. Here's point number eight. Uh, How do you maintain a great relationship with your pastors? You do have pastors, right? And you do have a relationship with them. You need to. It's healthy. It's the will of God. Here's point number eight. Stand by them. There's a song, Stand By Me. You know that song? Stand by them in their afflictions, persecutions, and difficulties. Stand by them. We need that. We're weak men. We need brothers and sisters in Christ standing with us holding up our weak hands. Listen to 2 Timothy 1, 15 to 18. This is Paul. This is the apostle Paul. You're the end of his life, end of his ministry. And he writes, you are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me. Whoa, come on. Wow. All who are in Asia turned away from Paul? A few of you will know what I'm talking about here. This reminds me of Charles Haddon Spurgeon near the end of his life and the downgrade controversy. For those of you who know what it is, plug it in right there. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are, and then he names two of them, Phygelus and Hermogenes. Mothers, do not name your sons Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus. Here's a contrast. For he often refreshed me, refresh your pastors, and was not ashamed of my chains when Paul was being persecuted. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Mothers, name your sons Onesiphorus. Just kidding, of course. So, so what's the point here? Stand by them in their afflictions, persecutions, and difficulties. They need you. You can strengthen their hands. Or again, 2 Timothy 3 and verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live godly, a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Pastors get persecuted. Stand by them in their afflictions, persecutions, and difficulties. All right, point number nine. I'm scroll to the top of my document real fast. This is about you and your pastors or how to maintain a healthy relationship with your pastors. That's the not-so-long Puritan subtitle, and here it is. Here's point number nine, the final one for us today. When you have, what shall I call them? Here's what I call them. When you have challenges in your relationship with a pastor, when you got beef with a pastor, when there are issues between you and a pastor, or concerns, you have concerns about the teaching or the decisions or the conduct or the life of a pastor, please follow the words of the Lord Jesus as given in Matthew chapters 5 and 18. Now, we have another podcast that spends a good bit of time on this, but I'm leaving that. Matthew chapter 5 pictures you this way. There you are before the Lord, and you're offering your gift. So really, it would be like it's offering time in the service. And you're about to give your offering. You write your check. You're about to put it in the plate. We don't have plates. Not many people write checks. We use tidally. It's an on, I'm getting in the weeds. Anyway, so it's Matthew chapter 5. You're about to offer your gift, and you say, uh, you know what? I just remembered uh, Jason Wallace. He's sitting right there. He's really upset at me. 
The Bible says, put down your check, don't give your offering, go, first be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. So if you remember, you know what, I'm really upset at Pastor Stan, I'm really upset at Pastor Rob, just pick one of our pastors, I'm really upset at him, then before you do your next really spiritual thing, like offer an offering, the spiritual thing you really need to do is go and try and make that right. So if you realize, you know what, I'm upset at Pastor Steve or Pastor Steve's upset at me, don't be like, I'm all spiritual here. Now I'm going to lead my Bible study. No, go make things right. Or in Matthew chapter 18, it's this. Uh, if you remember that your brother, if, if you realize your brother has sinned against you and you're upset at him, then what do you do? You go to him between you and him alone. Alone. You go between you and him alone. Why alone? Because you want to keep the circle of acquaintance with the problem as small as possible so you're not damaging reputations unnecessarily, so you're not getting people slanted against one another, and you can never undo that once it gets started. You're trying to limit it so you can solve it right here, and it doesn't go out and infect and affect a whole bunch of other people. Go between you and him alone. People always have reasons why they refuse to do that. People always have reasons why they want to end run that, why they want to violate that and ignore the express command of the Lord Jesus. They always have reasons like, well, I don't want to go to them because it would be difficult. I don't want to go to them because it would be upset. I don't want to go to them because I'm not sure I'd get things right. People always have reasons why they don't want to do what the Lord Jesus said. There are no parenthetical insertions in that verse. There's no footnote that says, unless you have a reason. Now, this is the will of the Lord. So this applies to pastors. When you have challenges in your relationship with a pastor, and you might from time to time because he's human and you're human, or concerns about the teaching or decisions or, or about their decisions or their conduct, go to them. Just want to let you know, people in the church I pastor do this with me all the time, all the time. I think hardly a day passes where somebody isn't through text or email or a phone call or a, or a get-together going to me about something that was taught, something that was said, something was in the sermon. And usually it's very encouraging, uh, but they want to say, but I'm not so sure you got this part right. Let's talk about this part. And so, so we do that, and it's fun, and it's good, and it's healthy. But when you have challenges with a pastor— don't go to all your friends. Oh, here's one of the here's one of the things that's alleged. Uh, here's why I'm not going to him. I need to get counsel first, so I'm going to get 15 counselors. Well, yeah, you do need counsel, but not in this point, because Jesus says go alone. Don't go telling other people about the thing on your heart. Try and resolve it right there with you and Pastor Jason. And if that doesn't work, then go get another one or two people who are witnesses. Otherwise, just zip it and keep peace in the church. So here are nine points, which would take us a long way toward maintaining a healthy relationship between pastors and sheep. We could have nine or 49 points for pastors too. That would be good. Um, somebody actually uh, tweeted, somebody that I follow on Twitter tweeted one for pastors a little while ago, uh, the servant of the Lord must not be quarrelsome, but must be patient. So we could have a list like that for pastors. What do pastors need to be to maintain their relationship with people? Maybe I should do another. I should have done that one first, huh? Guys in the studio, that would have been more wise. Anyway, 
We did one for the people today. It would go a long way toward maintaining a healthy relationship with your pastors. May the Lord bless you to have a healthy local church and strong, healthy, biblical, faithful pastors to watch for your soul. May the Lord be glorified in the way you and they get along. Thanks for listening. This is Grounded.